7: I alright you
0: all right y'all <laughs> all across the usc compton watts bay to la promona california from valley to valley we represent that killer county so if you keeping it real on your side of your town you tune in to gangsta chronicles eh? gangsta chronicles we gon' tell you how it goes uh, if I lie, my nose will grow like Pinocchio. We gon' tell you the truth and nothing but the truth. Hello. Gangsta Chronicles, this is not your average show. You're now tuned into the real MCA, Big change and Big Stead. strictly from the streets. Hello. We represent the James.
8: Welcome to the Gangsta Chronicles podcast, the production of iHeartRadio and Black Effect Podcast Network. Make sure you download the iHeart app and subscribe to the Gangster Chronicles. For my Apple users, hit the purple mic on your front screen, subscribe to the Gangster Chronicles, and leave a five-star rating and comment. We'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Gangster Chronicles podcast. Unfortunately, my guy MC8 is out this week. Um, he's sick right now. I told him to keep his ass at home. But he'll be back with us next week. But I do have a very special guest with us tonight. One of the most authentic journalists around when, you know, in regards to hip hop, I would say, um, and he's a white guy. I am. You know, very obviously guilty as charged. You know, he's <laughs> you know, he's a published author. He actually published a very good book called The History of Gangster Rap from Schooly D to Kendrick Lamar, The Rise of a Great American Art Form, published Gucci Man's self-help book, Guide to Greatness. But where I recognize him from and where i um I guess we formed our relationship at was was when he was writing for the Source magazine. He was the main editor. Also written for the New York Times, LA Times, Double XL, the Chicago Tribune. This guy's like a real, real live hip-hop journalist. He's at the source when it comes to the art form of hip-hop. My man Soren Baker, that was a long introduction, man. Thank you, still. Appreciate that. Long ass introduction, bro. (laughs) Long ass introduction. Thank you, thank you. So Me, you, and Ada have kind of been talking over the last few weeks about getting this list together, you know, commemorating 50 years of hip hop. 50 years is a long time. I remember when this shit wasn't even around, man.
9: Yeah. Well, by the time I found out about it, uh, it was around, but it wasn't that, it wasn't nearly what it is today. So it felt like it wasn't around that much.
8: Oh, for sure, man. I've definitely had the pleasure of seeing this thing go from an underground phenomenon to just like now it's like a part of the culture. It is a part of the it, it is. is culture. Yeah, it, it is. You know, it's culture itself.
9: Absolutely. It stands on its own.
8: You know, and I'm definitely, I would say, man, I definitely would say I'm one of those guys that's hip hop is my culture. I live the lifestyle. Yeah. You know, because it's not it's now you as well. Me too. You know, <laughs> you know, we're living a lifestyle um so we're putting together a list the greatest 50 rap albums, gangster rap albums of all time. And when I tell you that it's um kind of hard to be objective doing something like this because you have some albums that just kind of hit you in the heart, right? and you're like, damn, man, I really can't put that on there, though, because it's not better than this.
9: That's the challenge with making lists, man, which is why I'm glad we got the three of us talking about it because, you know, for me, one of the hardest things that I ever did was reviewing albums because when I would review them, especially in the L.A. Times and some of the magazines I wrote for, you gotta like really look at it as a standalone thing. You can't look at it compared to other albums or what's going on. You just gotta look at it for what it is Mm -hmm. as its own entity. And judging that in real time and then not being able to really sit with it is also hard to do, but that's something I did like hundreds of times. And uh, I miss doing album reviews, but on the other hand, You know, it is what it is. It's a different era now, so.
8: Yeah, it is. Um, People are much more sensitive. That's an understatement. You know, they're very sensitive nowadays. You know, before we get into this, have you ever had someone mad at you?
9: All the time. I used to have that on a regular basis. Um,
8: Especially with the source, because those stars were a big deal. Well, the thing with the source, this didn't really
9: happen often. It only happened Literally, less than a handful of times with a newspaper, but in a magazine, man, there were several times where I would mainly I always review the album more favorably, and then the editor or however they did it would lower with the source, lower the mics or you know lower stars in different publications or whatever it was, and then the mm. the publicist or the artist would be looking at me sideways sometimes. I just have to tell them, like, yeah, you know, they kept the words, but they changed the rating, or sometimes they would change some of the words, and it's like, that was bad for me because as somebody that cares so much about what I do as a writer, I didn't want to give an album, say, four mics, and then it turns up as a three-and-a-half where they're added a paragraph or two dissonant, or I gave it a a three-and-a-half, and now it's a three, and they cut out, like, half the good stuff I said because I think... One thing people really get confused is three out of five is above average. Yeah, it is. It's a good rating, three out of five. But because of a lot of different factors, people looked at a three like that was whack or something. And it's not. It's above average in its quality, which is why, for me, I always preferred it the way I did it in the L.A. Times, which was out of four. Mm -hmm. So that was like... Uh, poor was one star, fair was two stars, three was good, and four was excellent. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is better because it's much more like there's less wiggle room, and we could only do half a star. So if it was between fair and good, you could give it a two and a half, but even that, like, that's average.
8: Yeah, so- people get mad. People get upset in hip-hop for being average because hip-hop is one of the genres to where it's so competitive. yeah. If you're second place, you're still pissed off. Like, I'm pretty sure, especially with your background, like I said, you're very respected. You know what I'm saying? You really are a part of the culture. So you're not a guy just sitting up here imitating. Um, I could see someone being mad of being in the bottom 50. But like when you spoke earlier, just to make this list at all. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, there's hundreds
9: of gangsta rap albums that have been released, if not thousands. I would say right so,
8: now, man, probably close to thousands.
9: Yeah, I mean, and I have almost all of them. So the fact that getting on a top 50 list and some artists, I'm sure, for you, me, and eight are going to have more than one, Mm -hmm. that just shows you we're dealing with the cream of the cream of the cream of the the crop. exactly. And it's hard to do. You know, I know we have some similarities, I'm sure, but I know there's going to be some differences, and that's what's going to make it exciting to discuss.
8: Well, that's part of the um, debate, you know, and it makes for good barbershop talk all across the country. Yes. Really all across the world probably. You know, guys, you know, people take rap very seriously. I've seen people get into fights. Like, not, you know, big, you know, SmackDown drag out fist fights, but I've seen the people get real intense arguments, man, over hip-hop.
9: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in some of those too, and it's... Uh... It's just because we all love it so much, and it means a lot.
8: Like, yeah, it, you know, I fell in love with it when I was ten, and I'm
9: still in love with
8: it. It definitely incites man passion inside of people. So, I guess since you're the guest this week, and by the way, Soren will be with us, I would say probably for the next six weeks. You know, we're talking about the 50 greatest gangster rap albums of all time. It's a task. Hey Amen. And it's very to tedious, you know, because to it. you know, for me to get to this final, you know. Number right here, I had to go through a lot of changes, man. I would go take, like, I went and took a shower and I was thinking my head. I said, no, nah, man, I like that album, but I, I can't keep this off of there, and I wouldn't change it again, man. So this has been changed, like, for me, man, a good, because I had a head start of you guys. Right. I had a head start of you guys, so I think I did this, man, probably over maybe 15, 20 times easy.
9: Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't take that long, but it definitely, some reorganizing and then, You know, one of the things that I found that was the most difficult is, like, if an artist is, quote-unquote, viewed as gangster, but they're also players or pimps or street or hustler or whatever, then I was like, well, this album isn't super gangster, so even though it's one of my favorite albums or a phenomenal album, I had to take it off this list because it's more player or it's more drug dealing or it's more whatever. If it's not, you know, super gangster out, then I was like, well...
8: Let me uh, not include it. I feel you, man. Um, One of the things I kind of struggle with, it's kind of like the same thing, because what I had to do is really look at what gangster rap feels in its essence, right? It's talking about criminal behavior, street shit. So my thing was this. I said, okay, to be fair and objective, if you're talking about selling dope, if you're talking about pimping some women, that's gangster shit. <laughs> that's true. You know, it's, you know, it's a criminal element, right? Even though the culture didn't give that title to the genre. You know, in, in its essence, what it truly yields is reality rap, street reporting. You know, I, you I talk know, about that in my book, the history of gangster exactly, rap. The history of gangster rap. Yep. So that's what it is. It's just a bunch of brothers talking about what they've surveyed in their life and in they, their, you know, in their neighborhoods. Um, I know that's. You know, it's been a big debate in hip-hop for the longest. Well, this dude ain't really no gangster, man. You know, he a nerd, he this and that. No, they don't have to be a gangster, man. These guys are just as creative. You got to give them the same creative license that you give creative, ter- you know, Quentin Tarantino, um, yeah. Steven Spielberg, and, you know, other great writer, or visualizer. Yeah. Just creative people. I mean,
9: to that point, that's what I wanted to do and illustrate with the History of Gangster Rap book that I have, which is, really show like these dudes are geniuses as far as storytelling, as far as lyricism, Mm -hmm. as far as creating these atmosphere, these musical moments, this uh, brilliant material that we all know and love. And that, you know, if you look at the titans of gangster Rap, the really the four pillars of it with Ice-T, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg, they're also four of the biggest people in all of entertainment. Exactly. So when you look at it from that perspective, Not only is all four of their music transcended rap, but as people, as businessmen and as entertainers, they've also transcended rap. And it all comes from gangster rap. Mm -hmm. And they all four are still doing it at a high level in their respective fields. And I think that just shows the power of gangster rap.
8: You know, those four people you named, man, they've generated over a billion dollars in business. Easily, you know, and probably more, more like two billion. I was going to say closer to two than the You know, one. You know clo- definitely closer to two billion. So well, it's actually closer to
9: three if you include all the movies. Because Cube, exactly, yeah, Cube you're by right. Himself is more than a billion at the box office.
8: You're right, man, and, and you know,
9: or I think is more than a billion.
8: debatably. Cube is probably the greatest gangster rapper of all time. You know, top five easily. Yeah, Cube yeah. is a bad man.
9: That's an understatement.
8: You know, he's, he's a bad man. He's
9: phenomenal. He's a bad man. Though. He'll be on my list several times.
8: Oh man. He's top 50. And, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing we're letting you guys know now. There is definitely going to be multiple entries of certain artists. Because like they said, this is competition. You know, and these guys, they did it consistently. Yeah. You know, some of these guys, I think Ice Cube, it wasn't a real, really long run because he really took off in the world of acting. Right. But he wanted to run, man, where pretty much he controlled the game for a good seven, eight years, man. And it was just like, undeniably, Yeah, he was a bad man. The only people that would deny
9: were some of the people in the media. But in reality, you know, that's starting with, of course, his work with N.W.A., but then as a solo artist, I mean, Cube was dominant, prominent, selling out shows, mm-hmm. selling lots of records, but more importantly, driving what the music was going to be it was his voice his words his Mm -hmm. style his storytelling all of that really
8: changed the game yeah it did man but with that being said you know Cube will probably wind up being one of those guys that gets his own episode as he should you know so let's get into your um 41 through 50 man I'm curious to see what you got cracking
9: all right, so we doing one at a time? We going to talk about them, or you just want me to We going to talk
8: about them, too. See, Just list 41 through 50. Yeah, we're doing something different. We're going to actually let you guys see the whole process of us putting this list together. We're not going to be like these other lames and just throw a bunch of bullshit out there and put some bad shit on there on purpose just to spark debate and get some clicks and likes. No, right, right. we're doing this because we really care about this shit. So we're going to involve right. you guys in the
9: process. So... Uh, what I'll do then is I'll go from forty-one to fifty. Ready? Yeah. Project Pat Getty Green. Let's talk about it a little bit, man. Project Pat's debut album, and you know I got the book with Juicy J, September fifth, Chronicles of the Juice Man. Of course, Juicy J, DJ Paul produced the album together. Mm-hmm. And Project Pat, I think, is one literally one of the best rappers of all time. He's a phenomenal artist, very underrated. And the thing about Project Pat that he does, and he starts on it with Getty Green, he's got another album that's higher than this on my list. Mm-hmm. But Pat, I think, is such a brilliant artist because, one, he's lived through all this stuff, so he's legitimate. Yeah, he's authentic, Street, he's
8: authentic like a mug.
9: But beyond that, what makes Pat so great to me is that he really dissects like Ice-T was the first one I remember and Ice Ice Cube. Even Schooly D did it, mm-hmm. and Karras won. But they showed you the pit, pitfalls and the downfall of the game. Mm-hmm. And Project Pat on Getty Green starts off with that. You got backstabbers. You got, <laughs> I mean, that just shows you right there. He's got a Crucial Conflict on there. But, you know, Out There is a great song, North Memphis, Choices, Choppers, of course, Ballers. But Pat has the humor, he's got the street tales, and he's got the super gangsterism, but then also showing you the pitfalls of the game, and the way he does it, his phraseology, his terminology, is just phenomenal, and I think Getty Green is is one of those albums that, because there's so many great albums, I think now, you know, it came out in 99, and that was also the year, one of those years where rap exploded on the charts mm-hmm. and all this stuff to a lot of the big records that came out also in 99 and 98. So I think it kind of got lost a little bit, but mm-hmm. not to me. You know, Getty Green, phenomenal project.
8: Yeah, I also had that on my list, but I'll let you continue.
9: Okay. Then I got Schooly D Smoke Some Kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is his third album, but it's his first album where his picture was actually on the cover. Mm-hmm. And you got another poem, Same White Bitch, Here We Go Again, Black Man, Treacherous. And this album, I think, is so important because musically, Schooly D created gangster rap. You know, mm-hmm. really, I'd say that he he had done it before with Gangster Boogie and his earlier records, but of course, PSK, mm-hmm. what does it mean to me is the beginning of gangster rap. Mm-hmm. You know, it influenced Ice-T, to make Six in the Morning in the way that he did, but with Smoke Some Kill, Schoolie had changed from the Schoolie D album that came out in 85, Saturday Night, the album which came out in 86, mm-hmm. and then when he gets to jive and puts out in 88, Smoke Some Kill, mm-hmm. his production, and he produced all of his music. So he was, to me, also really the first rapper-producer, and Smoke Some Kill, he evolved his sound He changed and was still telling all these street stories, talking about drugs, talking about being on the corners and all this different stuff as he had done before. But he added, he always sprinkled it in. And I think on Smoke Some Kill, he started doing it more and more, the political commentary, the social commentary. Exactly. And we get a lot more of that with his next album, "My black enough for you. But that one, I think, toned down on the gangsterism a little bit. So I put Smoke Some Kill which to me is more street, more gangster. Then I'm going to go with Ice Cube's The Predator. Um, when Will They Shoot, It Was A Good Day, Who Got The Camera, all these songs. Hold
8: on, let me go back. So you got It Was A Good Day in the bottom, um, in the last 10? Well, for the whole album. For the whole album? Yeah. That was a big album, man. I had that rated a little higher. Well, that's a tough but one. But I'm not mad at it, though, because Cube's going to have multiple entries through this thing, I'm pretty sure.
9: He is, and the other thing that I'll say about it is, um, to me, Smoke Some Kill, the production, is just so amazing, and I'm only talking about a few songs here and there, Mm -hmm. and I think that the Predator uh, coming off of America's, or excuse me, coming off that certificate, Mm -hmm. I was just, to me, that certificate's going to be way higher on the list, so we'll talk in detail about that later, Mm -hmm as is America's Most Wanted. And I just thought uh, Predator, as amazing as it is, is a distinct, it's not as good as those two albums.
8: It's very different. It's a lot more, it's very commercial. Well,
9: sonically, especially, it's it's very, uh, and even lyrically, there's a lot of different things going on on it that uh, I think show, again, Cube's brilliance, but I also think it's a very different album in so many different ways. And again, to make the, in the top 40s, that's pretty, that's a tall, tall order.
8: Yeah, it is. I, I believe that's fair. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. I'm not mad at that.
9: And then we're going to get to DJ Quick with Safe and Sound. Mm. Um, that one, Quick's got multiple entries on here for me too. Mm. And I remember, uh, obviously, it's super gang banging, but I remember, you know, he's got Get At Me, Safe and Sound, dollars and cents, of course. But I also remember. And I've talked to Quick about this many times over the years, and I've written about it with him. You know, this was during one of the... He made this album during one of the darkest, most frustrating times of his life. Mm-hmm. And that's reflected in the music. It's very angry, and it's not as uh, bright as, say, Rhythmalism, or even Quick is the name for that matter. The
8: album be- is kind of melancholy and dark a little bit. It's, it's very. Not kind of. It's extremely. It was a, it's a dark album. But...
9: That being said, it's still brilliant and amazing and shows that, you know, at this point when you're getting two, three albums in like Schoolie D, like Ice Cube and like DJ Quick are, to me, that's just showing their brilliance because at this point uh, in the early, and then with with, uh, Safe and Sound being 95, you're getting into the mid nineties. So gangster Rap created in 85, exploded in 88 89 so now we have a six seven years after its real explosion and so yeah next i got uh dj quick safe and sound Mm -hmm. uh you know just coming in the 94 95 era you know get at me safe and sound dollars and cents are some of my favorite tracks on there and i think that you know this is getting into being quick's third album Mm -hmm. was released during one of the more frustrating, difficult times in his life as having talked to, spent a lot of time with Quick over the years. I know that he was going through a lot personally, um, you know, as he talked about and just like Compton, you know, a lot was going on in the road professionally. He was learning a lot about the game, but then he was dealing with a lot of personal strife. And that I think you can feel in in Safe and Sound because it's a very angry, very melancholy, very frustrated album, mm. and for me, you know, that definitely comes through musically, but I think that doesn't take away from the power of the project. It was a very dope album. Yeah, and like Schooly D, Quick produced himself, so I think that to me just shows his brilliance, and like Schooly D, like an Ice like a Ice Cube, now that you're getting into the uh, late and mid... I mean, really, the mid-1990s to have three, four, or five albums Mm -hmm. like Quick, Ice Cube, and Scooby D had, and Ice-T even, that's just showing you that what they're doing is working. It's resonating with the fans, and the power of the music is really, really out there because these guys are the ones that are really putting in motion what's going on in a lot of the rest of the country and changing how people rap. And I think Quick had that you know, from his aesthetic, the way he dressed, his style and everything, he just, mm-hmm. he brought a different level of gangsterism to the game, man. Well,
8: DJ Quick is a superstar.
9: That's that's an he's understatement. Superstar.
8: you know, just from the guy's um, live performances. Yeah. I'm a big judge of live performances. I can't stand the dudes that just go on stage and just kind of just stand up there where they got 500 people behind them. You know, Quick is a great performer, um, and he's one of the few people that, produces just as good as he raps. He raps just as good as he produces. Well he's an A1 producer and he's an A1 rapper. I think
9: he is. I said this on his own song if you haven't seen it. But I I'm quoted on there because I said and I told him many times, but I think he is the best rapper producer ever.
8: Oh he is of all time because he yeah. writes his own he pins his own raps. He don't have no ghostwriter nowhere. no I I've been in the studio when he's written yeah. it and recorded it so I've and seen it happen. I've <laughs> had the pleasure of being you know with him in the studio and seeing him work it's almost like seeing a heart surgeon this meticulous because he had bring down everything on that SSL. Is this when you were with High C doing stuff? Yeah, this stuff? is when I was high, high C. Yep, when I was going on the road with High C and those guys. You know, that's, those guys gave me my breaking industry man I that know. whole camp. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. So, <laughs> but just you know, having the opportunity to be in there with him and right. just see him spend hours on a snare, to just really just be like, and I've seen him make the most incredible beats and just say, I don't like it, and just throw the shit away, like, like literally erasing. it. Hmm. And you'll be looking like, what the fuck, man? That was, just sounded like some alien shit I just heard. Man, this dude just erased it.
9: Yeah, well, when you're a genius, I guess you can do that type He's of thing. He's definitely a genius. Okay. So my next album is going to be Ice-T's Freedom of Speech, Just Watch What You Say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lethal Weapon's on there. You Played Yourself is on there. And I think Ice-T is one of the best rappers of all time. Oh, one of the I greats think, for sure. I think he's criminally, no pun intended, but criminally underrated. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you played yourself and <laughs> he, Ice-T I think is the master of showing the pitfalls of the game, but also the highs of the game. And I think he he was and remains the best of that. And I think... The Freedom of Speech album is coming where rap was under a lot of attack. This is 89. You know, NWA had exploded. Eazy-E had exploded. School D had been successful. Ice had been successful coming off the Power album. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, I think, best-selling album of all time. And the reality is Ice was like, you know, just watch what you say. You can say whatever you want to say. We're in America. But at the same time there's going to be repercussions. Mm -hmm. There's going to be things that are going to happen to you, and I think this album really kind of got on that, and You Played Yourself is another one of those cautionary tales that Ice, I think, is one of the best at doing and really showing, like Ice Cube did, Schooly D did, Mm -hmm. so many people did that are the best, like the MC8s, the DJ Quicks of the world, the Project Pats of the world, they show you the downfall of the game. And, you know, I also think that Ice, Ice's creativity and his playerism was on full effect on this album as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get the Syndicate popping up a little bit, and it's just a great album.
8: Uh, this one is a little hard for me to rank this low, but yeah, I yeah. Hold on. I want to go back to Ice-T real quick. Okay. Because I had the pleasure of meeting Darlene right here last week. Oh, you know, we took you know we took a picture and everything, and I was telling her about because you know he, I thought it was so cool that he put his own woman on the album cover. Right. And she said that Ice, he didn't want to do nothing. Everything had to be authentic. As a matter of fact, he said, I didn't know you could lie. So he said, you know, he, yeah. the idea of him having some chick he didn't know on his album cover and wearing jewelry that wasn't his. He said, man, I got all that shit for real. I'm gonna wear it on the album. Come on, wear my shit.
9: Well, Ice has told me many times that. You know, Russell Simmons had come to see him perform early in his career, and he didn't know that Ice, that particular performance, Ice didn't know he was going to be performing, so he just went on wearing what he was wearing. And he told me that Russell Simmons told him, that's your look because that's who you are. You don't need to dress like you're from New York or anything else. You're a L.A. street dude, mm-hmm. and you're a fly player-like dude. That's, that's your image. Don't yeah. change it.
8: Ice-T was very influential, man, because – when, you know, back in the day, they used to wear these silk suits out here, man, with the, right. like, silk shirt. I saw Ice-T had that on, man. The first thing I did when I hit California is I went to the swap meet, bought me two or three of them um, <laughs> them, um, those look I don't know if they was real silk, but I looked like them, and I got me the look chain with the Uzi on it. I had a baby oh, wow. version, though. That motherfucker was the flyest dude ever, man. But I'll let you continue.
9: Yeah, Ice is by far one of the greatest rappers ever. Yeah, he is. The next one... It's hard to put this a little bit low, but I think uh, many of the albums that we're discussing and going to be throughout this series, the production has held up so much. And I think this one, parts of it haven't, which is why it's a little bit lower to me, which is Criminal Minded by Boogie Down Production.
0: In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC
5: tests, diarrhea, hair thinning, or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite.
6: Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos.
7: And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great.
6: Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list.
7: We'll also have guests join us, Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: You got a lot of records. I got ranked higher in the 40s, and you got them in the bottom part. Your list gonna be a motherfucker.
9: It is. It is. But, of course, this is a brilliant album, and Karis One, to me, is top five rappers of all time. But you know, this album really showed gangster rap from the East Coast perspective, especially through the title track. Nine Millimeter Goes Bang is another one. And that song in particular, being from Maryland and listening to a lot of Go-Go growing up, that was a big uh, song that they made into a Go-Go song, Mm -hmm. Nine Millimeter Goes Bang. So, you know, that had an extra layer, and it just showed, like, this music from the South Bronx is resonating all the way down in D.C. Mm-hmm. And being on an independent label, B-Boy Records, and Karris, you know, they didn't have, at least to my knowledge, they never had any videos for this or anything. It was just like pure word of mouth.
8: Yeah, it was just all streets. word of mouth.
9: And this album is a masterpiece. But then you get, like, Poetry and Elementary and all these other records that are not gangster rap. And Karris, one, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing and hanging out with a number of times over the years,
7: mm-hmm.
9: you know... The harder, streeter stuff, gangster stuff, was more Scott Rock and Keras one was much more on the poetry to elementary, and that's what you see starting, you know, on the next album, which is why the rest of Boogie Down Productions and then Keras ones music as a solo artist is so different because that wasn't what who KRS-One is or what he wanted to represent. He wanted to be the stop the violence guy, the self-destruction guy, mm-hmm. and you know that's the my philosophy guy, and that's why, you know, the subsequent albums sound so different. But it's a masterpiece. Uh, it's just the production, uh, I think, didn't age as well. So I had to, for me at least, when I'm looking at the totality of these projects, mm-hmm. I'm trying to, be, you know, I'm as, as objective as possible, and I just that's the one thing that dinged it down and got it
8: a little lower to me. Yeah, you know what? His beats don't really, didn't really hold it up over time. Yeah, not on that. You know, that, compared to a lot of out. other stuff. You know, not on that one. I think, you got to think about it, he was on one of the probably worst record labels of that time. They put out a lot of pivotal albums, but, yeah. like, I was, um, that's the same label I believe EPMD was on the first, Sleeping Bag Records, right?
9: No, they were on B-Boy Records for Criminal Minded. Okay. So Sleeping Bag had Just Ice, had EPMD, it had Steezo, it had Mantronics. You're right, you're right.
8: So, I'm confusing
9: but B-Boy Records mainly had Boogie Down Productions, JVC Force, and uh, Sparky D. Those were their... Liking. Yeah,
8: Sparky D. Um, what's funny about the album, man, I remember, Um, I think Charis one only made like $5,000 off that album, man. It wouldn't surprise me. You only made like five Gs off a classic album. That's crazy. All right, go ahead, Swann. I'm sorry. So next we're going to get
9: into one of our personal favorites, and a great album is The Convicts, self-titled oh, shit. album. Uh-huh. Uh, Big Mike and 3-2 Just killing this This for the convicts The 1-900 crook mm-hmm. Is hilarious Penitentiary
8: Blues Oh man um, Illegal Aliens They put out Illegal Aliens today Man, dudes they would been, be dudes They wouldn't be able To put that song out They death. couldn't do it Everybody is so sensitive now But I, you know what I'm not going to say I agree with everything They said in that song Necessarily But the stance that they were coming from, they were almost on some real Texas patriotic shit, right. almost, you know what I mean?
9: It's like, Texas is its own country. hmm But I think this album, as you and I both know, it's a shame that the Convicts only did the one album because mm-hmm. Big Mike, of course, later with the Ghetto Boys and later as a solo artist, is a, a phenomenal talent. And then 3-2, you know, unfortunately... Didn't, didn't get to make as much music, but... he's a very. They almost wound up on Death Row Records. You know that,
8: right? Of course.
9: They were out here making The Chronic.
8: Yeah, they almost wound up on Death Row Records. Man, I talk to Big Mike about that all the time.
9: Yeah, I did an interview with him, and we talked about that on my Unique Access Entertainment channel on YouTube. But the reality is this album is amazing, and I think it just shows... Peter Man, of course, is on there, too, but it just That's shows... That's my favorite song on the album. It's amazing, mm-hmm. but I think it's just, it's a very well-rounded album. And I, the storytelling
8: and everything it, on there. Big it, Mike showed his ass as was 3-2. Yeah.
9: And the next one, and this is one of those things I was mentioning earlier, that UGK could and maybe arguably should have more entries, but I think Riding Dirty is the most gangster album uh, because Dirty Money I love and has so many great songs, but I think that and Dirty is the one... You know, One Day Murder, Diamond and Wood, That's Why, mm-hmm. I Carry. Like, these these are straight, super gangsterism type of songs. Mm-hmm. And it just shows, you know, one of the things that I love about rap mm-hmm. is getting all these different perspectives. So, like, if you're looking at the people I've been mentioning, like Project Pat, Memphis, Schoolie D, Philadelphia, Ice Cube, L.A., DJ Quick, Compton, Ice-T, South Central, Boogie Down Productions, South Bronx, and you got the convicts from, well, Big Mike from uh, New Orleans originally, but then relocating to Houston, and then mm-hmm. 3-2 in Houston, but then we get to UGK with Port Arthur, PA. And that's the thing that I love and that just coincidentally the my list really represents is that getting all these different voices, mm-hmm. all these different street tales from all over the country And these are now in different eras. You know, some of my stuff is from the 80s, some of it's from the 90s. So it's just showing, you know, rap growing, developing, rap, you know, evolving. And I think that Bun B and Pimp C, of course, had Phenomenal Chemistry, another self-produced group largely done by Pimp C, of course. Mm -hmm. But I just think that their storytelling and their perspective was very, very distinctive and really... uh, broke things down in a different way from a different perspective than we really had had. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to only put one, but like I said, I think Riding Dirty is the most street gangster album that they had, so mm-hmm. that's the one I think is the best match.
8: For sure, I hope y'all appreciate what we're doing right now because what we're doing pretty much is we're putting our list together in real time in front of you guys because I'm over here writing things down because we got some unanimous choices across the board, but me, I have... Multiple entr- entries with UGK. That's one of my artists I got multiple entries in. What's your next one?
9: Man, the next one is hard because I look at two of these albums similar, but I'm going to go with the Eastsiders producing and trades the old fashioned way. I had them higher. Because I think this album, uh, man, Trey D, Goldie Locke, and of course Snoop do such a phenomenal job. Nate Dogg is all on it. Latoya Williams is on it multiple times.
8: Mm-hmm. What's your favorite and, song on
9: there? I mean, Crip Hop, Connected, East Side Riders. Those are probably three of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say my favorite song. I Love It, of course, was a big single. Uh, Doghouse in Your Mouth. I mean,
8: it's just so many great songs mm-hmm. on this album. I like Doghouse yeah. in Your Mouth. Sugar Free killed that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever? Yeah, Sugar Free destroyed that. So this
9: album, I think. Goldie Loke is great, and Trey D has continued to be such a phenomenal rapper and put out so much material. I know he's got new material out now, too.
8: Oh, man,
9: Trey D. Trey D, I think, is one of those artists, for whatever reason, I don't think the masses really understand
8: and appreciate
9: what a great artist Trey D is. As
8: lyrically, he's very visual with his lyrics. Extremely. Because um, I even listened to him on Glasses. He got a song with Glasses um, where he said, "With well, Homicide, come and line them bags up. And it was just <laughs> like, so I said, damn, this motherfucker is really like the West Coast Crip version of Rakim.
9: No, he he is phenomenal. You know, actually, it's funny you say that, because uh, on My Unique Access, people should check it out. We did a, a Best Albums episode where I talked to him about his favorite album, and he did Paid in Full. Mm-hmm. So Eric being Rock Himes paid in full is his uh, favorite album. So we talk about that in general. So it's funny you just bring up him about being a West Coast. He has him.
8: this cadence is kind of similar to Rock you know, because he's a margin the margin guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. No. And he just be spitting, man. Like when he said that shit, he said. Um, I forget it verbatim what he said. He said, now nah, they scared to the hang out. Niggas know we did it because we screamed and sang out. You know, now not he scared to hang out. And I yeah. was like, damn, this is a bad motherfucker. He's very underrated, man. Severely underrated.
9: Yeah, I think Trey D is one of the most underrated rappers ever. Mm-hmm. And I think he's uh, an immense talent, a giant in the game.
8: He and is, I- man. One of my favorite rappers for sure.
9: And I think Duzzi in Trey's old-fashioned way, ironically, The first album, the self-titled debut album, was more popular, sold more, and all that other stuff. But I think this album is actually better. Um, I think it's—they're both have spectacular moments, and they're both great. But I think Deuce and Trey—I just—I don't know. I just—I really, really think the production. So now number fifty, the last one on my list, is uh, Snoop Dogg No Limit Top Dog.
8: No Limit Top Dog. I had that higher too.
9: Now this album, if you have a hired and you know Bitch Please, Buck'em, Down from My Ends, mm-hmm. Snoop a Fella. There's so many songs on here, but the most impressive thing to me about it is to me, Snoop, as Glasses and I have talked about, and I'm sure you and Glasses have talked about that's his, he thinks is the best rapper, has the best catalog. And I think No Limit Top Dog, you know, coming from Dog Father. And the first No Limit album, uh, people were kind of like, eh, I don't know about Snoop as much. But then when he came back with No Limit Top Dog, I had never lost faith in Snoop Mm because I had been around him and I knew what was happening Mm -hmm. during this time. And then when I went, uh, I happened to go to his house and he played me No Limit Top Dog. Uh, This is when he used to stay in Claremont. And I was like, I couldn't believe it still. I was just like, this album is bananas. And, you know, Buckham being toward the front of the album, Sticky Fingers was, you know, I knew he was rumored to be on Aftermath or was on Aftermath, collaborating with Aftermath. But to hear how he and Snoop worked so well together, Exhibit Exploding on Bitch Please, Superfly's mm-hmm. on there, I mean, uh, Sugar Freeze on the album. It's just
8: top yeah, it, bottom. It's a real dope album. It's amazing. And it was Snoop kind of saying, I'm still here. Not only that, but... I'm as good as I've ever been. But what's crazy about it, man? Dogfather took a lot of flack, and I heard, you know, I I remember hearing whispers through the enemy, you know, through the whole industry that they was trying to get rid of Snoop, hmm. and I was, and that was really um, befuddled because of that, because that shit sold like two or three million albums. Yeah, it was definitely. A I, I didn't five. know what the problem was. I was like, why are they getting? Why are they trying to get rid of Snoop? Well, no, but
9: to this point, with No Limit Top Dog coming out in 1999 you know, Snoop coming out with Deep Cover, then Mm -hmm. being the star of The Chronic, and then Doggy Style, that's, you know, 92 to 99, that's, you know, seven years, but it's really eight years, and it's like, dude, to be, to quote-unquote, to have people feel that you fell off, and then eight years later, you're like, have the, with Bitch Please in particular, you got the biggest Mm -hmm. song in rap. Exactly. Probably, or one of the biggest songs Mm -hmm. at the time, and that's the, the, Reuni- reuniting with Dre. It's just so much going on mm-hmm. on this album. And I was just like, people don't know, man. But Him and
8: Dr. Dre are definitely peanut butter and jelly. Whenever I see them two get together, I don't care what time period it's in. I'm betting on them dudes. As you should. Because they're going to come out with some shit that's just going to shift the old culture all the time.
9: All right, so that's mine. What about yours still?
8: Okay. We got a lot of the same ones.
1: Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and Got my PrevNar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect.
2: I'm 19,
1: strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk
7: or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: The stuff that you already had on your list that we went over, I'm not going to go on a, you know, a long tirade about yeah, it or right. whatever because we already talked about it. I'll be very brief. My number one is Big Mike and Lord Three to the Convicts. All right.
9: Oh, for 41,
8: you mean? Huh? For 41. For 41. Yeah. yeah, for gotcha. 41. That's my 41 right there. Um, my next one is Schoolie D Smoke Some kill. All right. You know, I so guess. Pretty close. You know, me, you. Well, that that's the same, actually. You know, me, you, and eight all voted on that one, right? My number three album is Easy E. Easy doesn't. Hmm. Not my favorite one over here, but it's kind of just the mine uh, is a lot
9: higher with Easy doesn't.
8: Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure yours is higher, but I say that because Easy E is almost like you know, Schoolie D is the godfather of gangster rap, but Easy E is the godfather. of... I, between him and Ice T, I got to give it to Ice T first, but I got Ice T way up higher too. He has multiple entries, by the way. But Easy E is my 43. My 44 is my man, Project Pat Getty Green. Okay. You know, even though he got the Pat the Up, uh, Scat the Up uh, from my boy Eight Ball, I think he perfected it. And and he's severely underrated, man. He's one of the greatest storytellers in hip hop. Pat is for sure. You know, Pat Eels, man. Go out and check out Project Pat. Don't sleep on my guy. My forty-five is the Dayton family. You know I'm a Midwest cat. Oh yeah. You know the Dayton Shout family. Shout out the bootleg. You know what's on my mind. Number forty-six for me is Trick Daddy, based on a true story. Forty-seven above the law, black mafia life. Forty-eight, Cool G Rap, four, five, six. Okay. You know I think this I could have rated this higher, but Cool G Rap is just one of the greatest lyricists of all time. One of the greatest rappers of all time doesn't necessarily make the greatest albums though.
9: Well, I got Cool G. Rap a different album higher, so mm-hmm. he'll be on my list, but for a different project.
8: But he's definitely he's definitely left. And I
9: got the it. Black Mafia Life higher too, so we'll be seeing. That
8: yeah, again. see, so yeah, it, it, that's one of the ones that we got to write down. That's in there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Automatic entry. Um, I kind of struggle with this one because I love him. I love him as an artist, but he is not consistent at all. Who's that? MC Ren, Shock of the Hour.
9: Shock of the Hour is phenomenal, and I think uh, Ruthless Villain and Ruthless for Life, really those three albums, I think, are all excellent projects. Mm-hmm. And Shock of the Hour, I just remember, you know, Bob of course, did a lot
8: of work on there too. Yeah, he was the staff producer at that time. You know, after Dre left, um, yeah. Easy got with him, because he was doing a lot of stuff with Rhythm D and those guys. Yeah. You know, he he had continued doing stuff with Rhythm D and then but Bob was kind of running the whole staff over there.
9: Yeah, well Bobcat, as you and I have talked about many times over the years, to me is, if not one of the most underrated producers, but he's a phenomenal producer. Some of his stuffs gonna show up elsewhere on my list, but oh for sure. I think that shock of the hour. I think Ren again. It's hard for me to say he's underrated because he's in NWA and because Kiss My Black Ass was a platinum EP. But I think M.C. Ren is still underrated. And I think that, you know, I think it's just because when you come from basically the Beatles of rap and you got Ice Cube and Dr. Dre Mm -hmm. and Eazy-E that it's like you could be an all-star on the all-star team, but it's just tough.
8: Well, you know, the thing about it, he had to battle all those other guys celebrity. You know, you yeah. had Dr. Drake, who was like has been the best producer in hip-hop for like forever, you know, forever. For the the 90s. You know, um, <laughs> you got um Easy E, who's very polarizing. Right. You know, Easy E just had that charisma. He was, you know, he was interesting. You know, because when you yeah. first heard him, you thought it was a 16-year-old kid or something like that. Because right. you remember he made the little thing. He made a joke years old. And I thought the motherfucker was really 16 for the longest. I was like, who is this bad motherfucker, man, going on yeah. and cussing everybody out? I just thought it was a trip, man. But my last and final one, I wanted to put this higher. These are, this is a group that has multiple entries in my list. I picked UGK, super Tight. my number 50.
9: That was another one that was uh, – I was trying to figure out um, UGK and how to – Properly salute and uh, present them, but super tight is super tight, so I have have no no problems
8: there. Yeah, you know. So if you look at this, we pretty much almost our lists were identical. Very
9: very similar, very similar.
8: Were identical, even Even though he had some stuff threw me off, but that's what these things do. I think everybody should speak from the heart on, because it's not all about record sales all the time. Because as you know being a you know, writer, for, you know, writing for hip-hop as long as you have. Marketing plays a big part.
9: Yeah, I mean, look, like, for example, both of us had the convicts and you got Dayton Family. I've interviewed Dayton Family and, you know, I got bootleg on Unique Access Entertainment, but the reality is Dayton Family put out a lot of great music and the convicts, both 3-2 and Big Mike, but then as the convicts, that's a great project. That definitely didn't sell a lot of units. It definitely wasn't known by most people, I would argue. It wasn't, I think, um, but I think it's amazing. It, I think it peaked
8: at like 53 or something
9: like that. In the rap charts? You
8: know, the, rap charts. Yep. the
9: convicts mm-hmm. it out?
8: Wouldn't,
9: it wouldn't surprise me. So. Yeah, it peaked at 53. Um. But, that was with no promo. That was
8: almost from word of mouth.
9: And that's why I'm glad we're framing it in the way of, this is like purely about the art. And I mm-hmm. think that to show that the convicts, their album is so amazing, and really set the stage for, especially Big Mike, to really blow up as a solo artist, and as a member of the Ghetto Boys, but it just shows you that this type of stuff, man, really, really is all about the art, when we're talking about it, because the convicts, Wouldn't be on here if we only cared about record sales or if that was such a big point of it. So I'm glad we're doing it this way. Well, it
8: can't be just about record sales, man, because like I said, Master P sold a lot of albums back then. You know, he sold sold a lot of albums. um, And I had Master P Ice Cream, man, initially in my bottom 50, and I made it higher. Okay. Because I just, you know, it's all about impact to me. Master P really, when he came in the game... And we just kinda of give them a preview for what we may see next week. I don't know if you have
9: Preview of the Remix.
8: You know, but um I think Master P Man for Whit he pretty much ushered in the era of the hustler, of the true hustler, the dude that said, you know what, motherfuckers might he sounded like a real New Orleans dude. You know what I mean? He sounded like he was a dude really from down there from New Orleans, you know. He sounded like one of them war boys, you know, for real. Right. And it was just a different sound, so I dug it. He wasn't the most, um, you know, he, he, it's not like, you know, when you hear Nas, I didn't exactly listen to Master P because, you know, to get an exercise of lyricism. No. You know, but
9: it was just some good old fashioned hood shit. And that's the other thing I think that's important about this list and just discussing rap. Everything's not about, oh, it's got to have these, like, supreme lyrics. You know, it's about the music, it's about the, like I was saying, criminal minded like some of those it's the vibe and it's it's the production it's the feel and you know i'm sure as we get going we're all going to have more stuff with dr dre produced but when you see that like that just shows you the power and the importance of production Mm -hmm. and that's why you know a lot of these records as we get into the top you know get into the 30s and above like you know, you gotta have the great lyrics, you gotta have the great stories, you gotta have the great production, you gotta have all these elements that make it timeless music, which is why we're talking about it.
8: Exactly, and as you see, I did not have any iced tea in my bottom, you know, my final 10, because I have him rates rated much higher.
9: Well, I got iced tea higher too, so mm-hmm. there'll be multiple, and he's uh, one of those artists that got several entries on
8: the list. For sure, as he should. I, you know, I can tell you right now. We haven't brought his name up yet, or the group, um, Scarface.
9: He's on here a couple times. Yeah, to me, <laughs>
8: he's right there next to Cube, and I told him that, um, and I'm going to be honest right now. I love Ice Cube as a rapper, but I, Scarface is my favorite rapper. Right. But I told Scarface that. He said, "Man, you better stop that. Knock <laughs> it off." He said, "That Cube is a bad motherfucker." Of course. So it was kind of it was funny, you know, to hear him say that. So I was telling him, like, "Dude, you my favorite motherfucker. You and Cube." Him and Cube are so similar. In a lot of ways. You know, they're just both really descriptive with their rhymes. And this is one thing I don't like in hip hop. The dudes that kind of do too much with the lyrical miracle. <laughs> you know? Right, right. All that stuff. To me, that's what made Biggie great. Hmm. Biggie, Cube, and Scarface all share the same characteristics. They say a lot by saying a little. Right, like Biggie you know my rap rhymes like landmines one step boom, black suits feel the room mm-hmm. <laughs> Ice Cube god damn I'm glad y'all said it off. used to be hard now you just yeah, went soft <laughs> you know so it's just like they do the most for saying a little and you understand what they saying I know a lot of incredible rappers man but Razz Cash to me is one of the baddest motherfuckers to ever hold a microphone that's for sure as is Chino XL but for sure we're living in the real-life idiocracy era, era right now.
9: No doubt about
8: it. To where people don't want to think. So I enjoy their music, but there aren't that many intellectuals. It's more idiots than those intellectuals.
9: <laughs> That's for sure.
8: You know, not saying that people are not dumb, but people just want to. Some people can't digest that type of stuff, man.
9: Yeah. You know, well.
8: And if the people don't understand what you're saying, man, usually you will lose somebody along the way.
9: That happens, and that's why the Razz and the Chino Excels of the world are more popular, but that doesn't take away from their talent at all. Oh, no, so.
8: And they, those guys have been able to carve out a niche in the game for themselves where they've had some really long careers. And who's to say maybe if they went commercial, they may not still be around. These guys are still actively touring. They're yeah. still putting out albums, and they're still respected. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes this thing hip-hop so interesting. Um, the biggest parallel I give the gangster rap is almost like professional wrestling. You have all of these colorful people and everybody has their stick, like you know, you had Dusty Rhodes. Oh yeah. You have, you know, Dusty Rhodes kind of represented the common man. Ric Flair represented the ball, you know, he came out with the woo <laughs> and a little strut, he was just a bad motherfucker, right? Right. And I think that's when you look at it, the ice cubes, the scar faces, um, a lot of people sleep on him, and this is a guy that got multiple entries in his list. I'm pretty sure you got him too short. These dudes have a swagger that's almost out of this world. When you meet short, and I, you know, I trip off sometimes that these dudes are actually my buddies now. Right. You know, I actually, you know, talk to these guys, and I'm like, man, this is I'm talking too short right now. He's a bad motherfucker, and he's been doing it for a long time. You got to give him his props, man. Yeah. Anytime somebody can survive something, man, where the average um, shelf life is two years, dude, two and a half years for a rapper, and I'm talking about somebody that had a push. I was going to say, if that. If that. And that's someone that had a push. That's someone that halfway had a career, right? For these dudes to be around, fuck, the 30, 40 years, they've short been doing it, a motherfucker lasts 10 years. Look at the run. Cube is still re- as relevant as ever. Yep. He's just making movies. Yeah. You know, at this point, he's almost like Michael Jordan. He done done so much in the game. What the fuck would it else be for him to do in the game? Yeah, man. I mean,
9: that's like I was saying. When you look at the, the Ice T, the Ice Cube, the Snoop Dogg, another and one. And, the, one. and the and the Doctor Dre. Those four. That's that's really the pinnacle of everything. And they all, other than Snoop, they all got started in the '80s, and Snoop was right behind them in '92. So.
8: And they still doing it, man. And who would have ever thought that Snoop would wind up being the biggest thing, man, in Black America, man? Since <laughs> straight in the corner man. He's just um, a phenomenal guy. You know what I'm saying? It's like Snoop is all. And I say this, and you no, know, I'm not being disrespectful at all. But Snoop is almost like a cartoon character. He's like the McDonald's sign. He's like Mickey Mouse, which means he's just like a, an entity yeah. upon himself. He's world famous. Yeah, he's world famous because. I remember, I never will forget this man. Me and Big Psych used hang out. Big Psych was one of my good friends. Like we had formed a really good relationship, and we were in Dubai. He actually had a show out there. So in this hotel we were in, they had a, like a um, dry cleaners downstairs. Okay. So I took some shit. You know, when you got luggage going overseas, you just got these nice ass shirts that just got ruined. They're all wrinkled up and shit, right? So I take him to the tricoons, I come back, the lady says, oh, you have very nice material, are you entertaining? You know, I was like, yeah, I said, yeah, I do this and that. She said, I don't know much rap, I know Snoop Doggy Dogg, I like Snoop Doggy Dogg, and we're talking about a, probably at the time, a 60, 70-year-old Hindu woman. Wow. She knew who Snoop Dogg was. I just said, damn, man, that motherfucker's popping. That's for sure. You know? Huh? So, man... We'll get together again next week. Yep. We got our bottom 10 and we are talking on the phone about that. And you guys will see the results in the next six weeks, next five to six weeks. Um So I would tell you, I will give you a long drawn out outro soon, but I'm gonna see you ass next week, man. There it is. We have eight here next, we have eight here next week. Um wanted to give you guys out there, man, a message. COVID is still out there. Make sure y'all washing your hands, man. Make sure, I don't know if we need to go back to wearing a mask. I don't even want to get into all that, but take care of yourself, though. Still out there, and we out of here. Well, that concludes another episode of the Gangster Chronicles podcast. Be sure to download the iHeart app and subscribe to the Gangster Chronicles podcast. For Apple users, find a purple mic on the front of your screen, subscribe to the show, leave a comment and rating. Executive producers for the Gangster Chronicles podcast are Norman Steele Aaron MCA Tyler. Our visual media director is Brian Wyatt, and our audio editor is Taylor Hayes. The Gangster Chronicles is a production of iHeart Media Network and the Black Effect Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart Radio, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears.
2: may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com.
3: Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.
6: Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list.